Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're playing a replay of a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast on the 7th of May in 2018. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Chester. I'm ready whenever you are, Mr. Dillon. All right, let's go. Chester was out back practicing his sliding. He's on a softball team. You know that kid from Japan that's playing for the Angels now, the the Los Angeles Angels, Anaheim Angels? Uh, The one that is both the pitcher and the great batter? Well, that's Chester in his softball league. He he is a tremendous uh, pitcher. In fact, you've had how many no-hitters, Chester? That many. He's had six no-hitters over the last, what, five years? Mm. And he also is a tremendous batter. His batting average is way up over 400, and which is pretty good in a softball league. But he's also a tremendous base runner. I mean, this guy's just got it all, and he was out there practicing running the bases, and I just noticed your, your pant leg is just torn to shreds there and muddy. Yeah, it's a little wet out there. Well, welcome, everybody. Glad to have you along. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. We've got a great lineup tonight. We have three outstanding shows. One is a Lux Radio Theater, and it's one of the best adaptations of a film I think Lux ever did. It's uh, of an Alfred Hitchcock film, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. We're going to follow that up at Madison High School with, a co- with an episode of Our Miss Brooks that uh, involves a civics lesson in a uh, program entitled, uh, what is it, Student Student Government Day. And then we're going to follow that up with an episode of Gunsmoke from 1953 entitled Soldier. And you'll hear a little bit more about that later. So we've got a great lineup and we invite you all to make yourselves comfortable. And we're going to get started in just a moment.
Hey, I have something kind of special to start the show off tonight. We're going to do a Lux Radio Theater presentation from 1951, uh, December the 2nd, 1951. This is a radio adaptation of the Alfred Hitchcock film, Strangers on a Train. And that movie was released that year featuring Farley Granger and Robert Walker. Their roles are taken over by Ray Milland and Frank Lovejoy. The film also uh, starred Ruth Roman and Patricia Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock's daughter, and they uh, reprised their roles in this radio adaptation. This one's a little unique in that what we're actually hearing tonight is a rehearsal. Now, talking to my good friend Walden Hughes, who I consider the encyclopedia of old-time radio, Walden told me that they would do a rehearsal, that actually they did five days of rehearsal for Lux Radio Theater, which was pretty unusual for a radio show. A lot of these guys would do two or three shows in a day. But when you did Lux, you were pretty dedicated to it, and they paid top dollar. I think most of the featured stars received $5,000, maybe more. But I know Walden gets a lot of his information from Frank Brzee, and I've even talked to Frank uh, on the telephone about Lux Radio Theater, and he he uh, attended many of them, and he said it was a big deal. The shows were done at what today is called the Ricardo Montalban Theater at 1615 Vine Street. When I lived in California uh, 25 years ago, it was the Huntington Hartford Theater, and I remember seeing stage plays there. Prior to that, though, it had been uh, the studio theater and had a, a number of manifestations. Because the big stars would do these shows and they treated them so seriously, these tickets were very hard to come by. People would actually uh, get very dressed up. It was a very big deal. And what we're going to hear tonight was the rehearsal that we think was done on Sunday because they would have a rehearsal that they would tape on Sunday, according to Walden and, and Frank. And then on Monday, they would do one final rehearsal Monday afternoon, and they would actually invite in servicemen to sit in the audience for that. And then Monday night at 6 p.m., they did the live broadcast in front of a well-suited audience. And like I said, it was a very big deal if you could get tickets to see the Lux Radio Theater. All right, so that's kind of the story. As Because this is a rehearsal, William Keeley, who became the host at that time, was not there. Apparently, he only came in for, for the final day. So John Milton Kennedy, who is the announcer, you'll notice, will be doing William Keeley's part. One other side note is this uh, original screenplay was written by Raymond Chandler, the great mystery writer. So here we go. Here's Raymond Land and Frank Lovejoy, Ruth Roman, and Patricia Hitchcock in Alfred Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train. Lux presents Hollywood. Lieber Brothers Company, the makers of Lux Toilet Soap, bring you the Lux Radio Theater, starring... Ray Milland, Ruth Roman, and Frank Lovejoy in Strangers on a Train. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. William Keeley. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. Travel by train, ship, or plane usually puts us in the mood to be kind to strangers. A question which would ordinarily receive a courteous but unencouraging answer is almost welcomed when we find ourselves in strange surroundings without the security of friendly conversation. It's a commendable custom, but at times may lead to unexpected and terrifying complications, 
as our stars tonight are about to portray. Ray Milland and Frank Lovejoy, who are the strangers on a train, and Ruth Roman, who recreates her starring role. Not only was this Warner Brothers picture directed by that noted master of suspense, Alfred Hitchcock, but one of the major roles was played by his daughter, Patricia Hitchcock. And we're happy that Patricia could appear tonight in her original part. Here's Strangers on a Train, starring Ray Milland as Guy Haynes, Ruth Roman as Ann Morton, and Frank Lovejoy as Bruno Antony, with Patricia Hitchcock as Barbara. A few moments ago, a northbound train left Washington, D.C. Among the passengers settling down in the club car are two young men. I beg your pardon. Hmm? Oh. I hate to interrupt your reading, but aren't you Guy Haynes? That's right. I'm quite a tennis fan. I saw your match last season in South Orange against Faraday. Well, that was one of my lucky days. I certainly admire people who do things. Uh, by the way, my name is Anthony, Bruno Anthony. How do you do? <sighs> Well, I guess you want to get back to your book. You go ahead and read. Thanks. You know, it must be pretty exciting to be so important. What? Tennis player isn't so important? Oh, but people who do things are important. Now, me, I, I never seem to do anything. <laughs> I suppose you're going to Southampton for the doubles, hmm? You certainly read the sport page, don't you? I wish I could be there to watch you, but I've got to be back in Washington tomorrow. Cigarette? No, not now, thanks. Uh, you don't happen to have a match? Yeah. Oh, oh, a lighter. Thank you. Oh, my, that's elegance engraved, too, from A to G. I bet I can guess who A is. Anne, Anne Morton. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, it's simple. See, sometimes I turn the sports page and look at the society section. Pictures, too. She's very beautiful, son of the Morton's daughter. You're quite a reader, Mr. Anthony. Yes, I am. You ask me anything, I've got the answer. Even about people I don't even know. Like, uh, like who would like to marry whom when his wife gets a divorce. Maybe you read too much. Well, there I go again. I meet somebody I like and admire, and I, I say the wrong thing. Oh, forget it. I guess I'm just a little jittery. Oh, well, there's a cure for that. Uh, waiter, scotch and plain water, please. <clears throat> a pair, doubles. <laughs> That's the only kind of doubles I play. Well, I'm afraid you'll have to drink both of them. And I can do it. Uh, when's the wedding? What? Oh, you and Ann Morton. The wedding. It was in the papers. Well, it shouldn't have been unless they've legalized bigamy. Uh, it's wonderful, you know, having your company all the way to New York. Well, as a matter of fact, I'm getting off at Metcalf. Metcalf? Well, who want to stop at Metcalf? It's my hometown. Oh. Oh, I get it. A little chat with your wife about the divorce. Well... Here's luck, Mr. Haynes. Drink up, then we'll have lunch sent to my compartment. Thanks very much, but I think I'll go to the dining car. Oh, that's filled up. There's no seats for about 20 minutes. Well, uh, how about lunch in my compartment? Oh, I wouldn't think of that. Come along, Mr. Haynes. You know, this is a real pleasure. And all told, I went to three different colleges. I got kicked out each time. Drinking and gambling, not like you, huh, Guy? <laughs> all right, so I'm a bum. Who said you were? Oh, my father. He hates me. 
With all the money he's got, he thinks I ought to punch a time clock somewhere and work my way up selling paint or something. Well, I think possibly he's... I hate him, too. I tell you, I get so sore at him sometimes, I... I want to kill him. You know, I don't think you know what you want. Well, I want to do something and everything. You know, I've got a theory you should do everything before you die. Have you ever driven a car blindfolded at 150 miles an hour? No, not lately. Well, I did. Flew a jet plane, too. Man, what a thrill. Almost blew the sawdust out of my head. Say, what are you trying to prove? Well, I'm not like you, Guy. You're lucky and you're smart. First of all, you're a wonderful tennis player. On top of that, you've got a swell job. Assistant to a United States senator. And on top of that, you're going to marry the boss's daughter. Makes a nice shortcut to a career, doesn't it? Marrying the senator's daughter's got nothing to do with it. Oh, now take it easy, guy. I'm your friend. <clears throat> Remember, I like you. I'd do anything for you. Look, we'll be stopping soon, and I've got to change trains. Oh, yes, that's right, Metcalf. What did you say her name was? Your wife's? Miriam. Miriam. I suppose she played around a lot, huh? Skip it, Bruno. Okay. Say, <clears throat> want to hear one of my ideas for a perfect murder? Murder? Look, I may be old-fashioned, but I thought it was still against the law. Well, what's a life or two? You know, some people are better off dead. Someone like your wife and my father, for instance. Now, let's say that you'd like to get rid of your wife. <laughs> you know, you've got quite a sense of humor, Bruno. No, 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 seriously. Let's say that you had a very good reason to want her dead. But you'd be afraid to kill her, and you know why? You'd be caught. What would trip you up? The motive. Now, here's my idea. I'm afraid I don't have time to listen. Oh, it's so simple, too. Two fellows meet accidentally, like you and me here on the train. No connection between them at all. They never even saw each other before. But now each one has somebody that he'd like to get rid of. So they, uh, they swap murders. Swap murders? Each fellow does the other fellow's murder. There's nothing to connect them. Each one has murdered a total stranger, like you do my murder and I do yours. You're coming into my station. For example, your wife and my father, crisscross. What? <laughs> yes, we do talk the same language, don't we? Thanks for the lunch, Bruno. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Think my theory's okay, huh, Guy? You like it? <laughs> sure. Sure. Got some great ideas. Nice meeting you. Good luck at Southampton, Guy. Bet I got some great ideas. Oh, Guy, your lighter. You forgot your cigarette lighter. Huh. From A to G. I'll send it to him sometime. Yes, I must send it to him sometime. I hope you don't mind meeting you in the park, Guy. Uh, no, Miriam. No, this is fine. I couldn't very well meet you in the store, could I? I arranged to take my lunch hour later. You're looking well, Miriam? So are you. You got a nice tan playing tennis with all your rich friends. When can we see your lawyer? What's your hurry, guy? You know, I think you're handsomer than ever. You know, I think it's pretty late to start flirting with a discarded husband. Now, let's see your lawyer and get this over with. Did you bring the money? Lawyers are expensive. It's in this envelope. Here. Thanks. You know, if I'd have known that you'd start doing so well, I wouldn't have run out on you. What are you trying to say, Miriam? 
I got a big surprise for you. I'm not getting a divorce. But it's what you've wanted. That's all you've been hopping about for more than a year. It's a woman's privilege to change your mind. Now I can buy some pretty clothes. I wouldn't want you to be ashamed of me in Washington. What's that supposed to mean? Don't look so mad, guy. You always smile when you have your picture taken for the newspapers. Especially when Ann Morton's hanging on your arm. Let's not talk about Ann Morton. Well, you can throw all your little dreams about her right in the ash can and make a real pretty story, wouldn't it? The senator's daughter all involved with a married man. What's happened, Miriam? Your boyfriend run out on you? No man runs out on me, guy. Not even you. Just get one thing straight. I never want to see or hear of you again. I could be very pathetic in a courtroom, Guy, the poor, deserted little wife. Better think it over, honey. I'm warning you, Miriam. Either we go ahead with a divorce or I I'll... I wish I had time to listen to you, Guy, but I've got to get back to work. I'll see you in Washington in two weeks. Hello? Hello, operator. I have your party now, sir. Go ahead, please. Hello? Guy, is that you? Anne? Hello, darling. Where are you? I'm in Metcalf. Oh, then you've seen Miriam. Guy, did did everything go all right? No. Everything went all wrong. She doesn't want the divorce. Guy, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, after all these months, but what did she say? Does it make any difference what she said? Oh, I, uh, I'm sorry, Anne. It's just that I yes, feel darling, so... Yes, darling, I know how you feel. But you sound so savage, Guy. I'd like to break her neck. I'd like to break her foul, useless little neck. There's no use talking like that, dear. I know. I suppose I'd try to see her again, but I've I've got to get to Southampton. My train will be here in a moment. Then write me. Please write me. Sure, I'll write on the train. And don't worry, darling. We've waited this long. We can wait a little longer. I don't know what I'd do without you. I love you, Guy. Well, I've got to rush, dear. My train's coming. I'll see you on Thursday. Yeah, sure. Good luck, darling. Guy, this is Bruno. How are you, Guy? Who? Who'd you say this was? Bruno. Bruno Antony. Don't you remember? On the train? Oh. Oh, yes. I would have called you sooner, but the operator had a little trouble finding you in Southampton. Look, would you mind telling me why you're phoning? How are the matches going, Guy? I don't play until the morning. Oh. Uh, Guy, about your visit in Metcalf. Are you getting a divorce? Oh, now, wait a minute, Bruno. She won't give it to you, right? Miriam won't give you a divorce? No. She double-crossed you. You gonna see her again? Now, look, Bruno, why don't you just... I told you, I liked you, Guy. I'm your friend. should never forget that. You just leave Miriam to me. What are you talking about? You'll find out, Guy. Just be patient, that's all. You just be patient. I don't care what Bruno's doing. I said I wanted to talk to him. Well, if you're talking about me, Father, I had to call a friend of mine long distance. Really, Charles? Must you always take this tone with Bruno? Oh, it's all right, Mother. I'm used to his tone by now. You can wipe that injured look off your face right now. You were out last night, weren't you? Well, I'm a big boy, Father. I go out at night all the time. You had another accident. You hit another car. Charles, really? Now it's hit-and-run driving. And you knew about it all the time. But, dear, it was a parked car. No one was in it. Why don't you tell that to the police? Well, they... They won't do anything to Bruno. This was the last time, Eunice. So help me, I'll never lift a finger for him again. It's all right, Mother. No, 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 dear. You know I can't stand to see you crying. Is there anything else you want to say to me, Father? Yes. Get out of my sight. Get out of my sight before I... I'll be back tomorrow, Mother. Uh, Bruno, where 
are you going? Oh, just a little trip, Mother. It's something for a friend of mine. Oh, you just don't understand him, Charles. You just don't understand him. What's he going to do next? Tell me, what's he going to do next? Well, nothing. Nothing at all. It's not normal. If it's the last thing I do, I'm going to have that boy taken care of. If necessary, put under restraint. I'll never permit it. Never. Never. It can't go on, Eunice. Things like this just can't go on. Over here, Guy. Well, hello. Bruno? That's right, Guy. How are you? What are you doing here? Not this time of night. I was waiting for you to get back to Washington. I thought of meeting you at the station, but then I figured this might be better here in front of your apartment. Now, look, it's one o'clock in the morning well, you don't and I... seem very pleased to see me. Would you mind telling me what this is all about? Oh, I, uh... I just come back from Metcalf, Guy. I brought you a little present. See, it's a pair of glasses. You didn't tell me that Miriam wore glasses. You've seen Miriam? Oh, it was very quick, Guy. She wasn't hurt in any way. It was all over in no time. What are you trying to tell me? Huh. I knew you'd be surprised. Nothing for us to worry about either. Nobody saw me. Only Miriam. I was very careful, Guy. Even when I dropped your cigarette lighter, I went right back and picked it up. Cigarette light? Why, you maniac! Look, Guy, we planted on the train together. You wanted it, you remember? Where are you going? Where do you think I'm going? I don't believe you, but I'm going to call the police just the same. Oh, you can't, Guy. We'd both be arrested for murder. You're just as much in it as I am. We planned it together, crisscross. Why, you crazy fool. Do you think you can get away with that? Oh, come now, Guy. Why should I go to Metcalf to kill a total stranger unless it was part of the plan and you were in on it? You're the one who benefits, Guy. I didn't even know the girl. But if you go to the police now, you'll just be turning yourself in as an accessory, you see. You had the motive. You crazy fool! I... Ah, you must be tired. I, I know I am. I've had a strenuous evening. I got to talk to you about my father. I've done my part. Now you'll do yours. Shut up! We have to arrange things. Get away from me before I... Oh, Guy, you're not yourself. Now, when you think things over, you'll see that I'm right. Tomorrow we can... Talk. I don't know you. I never saw you before, and I never want to see you again. You're lighter, Guy. The one that Anne gave you? You left it on the train. Don't you even miss it? Give it to me, Bruno. Give me that lighter. I don't have it, Guy. That is, I don't have it with me. <laughs> well, as I said, we can arrange everything tomorrow. Hello? Anne? Oh, I'm sorry, darling, but I just got in. Well, of course I'm all right, but you sound upset. Anything wrong? All right, darling. Yes, I'll come over right away. Thanks for coming over, darling. Anne. Anne, what is it? You're trembling. I wonder if you know how much I love you. Come along, Guy. Father and Barbara, they're waiting in the library. Thought we might be alone, Guy, but Anne insisted, and so did Barbara. Now, really, Daddy, if I'm going to be Guy's sister-in-law, the least I can do Just is sit stay. Sit down and keep quiet, Guy. We we wouldn't have called you at this hour if it weren't important. It it's about your wife, Miriam. What about her, sir? I'm sorry to be the one to tell you she's been killed, Guy. 
murdered. The police have been trying to locate you everywhere. You're to call headquarters in Metcalf. Miriam. Murdered. Tonight about nine o'clock, she... She was strangled. Act two of Strangers on a Train, starring Ray Milland as Guy Haynes, Frank Lovejoy as Bruno Antony, and Ruth Roman as Ann Morton. Twenty minutes ago on a street corner, Guy Haynes listened to Bruno Antony tell an incredible story of how he had murdered Guy's wife. And now in Senator Morton's home, Guy learns that Bruno's fantastic report is completely true. It, it happened in an amusement park, Guy. Some sort of lover's lane, I believe. Terrible. Apparently she'd gone there with some other people. Two of the young men found her. It, it, it was done by someone else. They don't even have a suspect, Guy. Except you, probably. Barbara, I wish you'd keep quiet. But the police will say that Guy wanted Miriam out of the way so he could marry Anne. She's right, Senator. But if you have an alibi, you have nothing to worry about. You can tell them where you were at about 9 o'clock tonight. Well, uh, I was on my way here. I was on the train. Well, there you are. Who saw you? Did you speak to anyone? You need a witness. Yes. Yes, I did speak to someone. He was the only other passenger in the club car. Someone you know? No. No, he said his name was Collier or Collins or something. Said he was a professor at Delaware Tech. He'd been drinking. Drinking? Yeah, he'd been to some meeting, had a couple of drinks. But he was on the train. He saw you. Then everything's all right. He'll still have to answer some questions. It's a dreadful business. Dreadful. Poor, unfortunate girl. Miriam was rotten. She was a human being. Father, it's getting late and Guy looks so tired. Of course. Well, you two, now you can be married right away. Think of it. You're free. You won't forget to phone the Metcalf police, Guy. Captain Turley. Yes, sir. Good night, Senator. Good night, Barbara. I still think it'd be wonderful to have a man love you so much he'd kill for you. You know, I kept saying over and over again I was being silly, Guy. But there was one horrible moment tonight when the news came through. I, I kept remembering what you said on the phone for Metcalf after you'd seen her. That I could break her neck? No, no, don't even say it. Forget you ever seen it. And there was something even more terrifying than the murder itself. The horrible thought that if you had anything to do with it, we'd... Anything to do with it? We'd have to be separated, perhaps forever. I, I couldn't stand that guy. I couldn't bear it. Anne! Anne, you don't think that I... Oh, no, darling, no, of course not. Just hold me, guy. Just hold me. Captain Turley, Mr. Haynes, it's good of you to come down here so quickly. Well, I'm just as anxious as you are, Captain. Well, we've managed to locate the gentleman you spoke with on the train. Well, Professor, this is Mr. Haynes. Well, I... I can't tell you how foolish I feel, Captain. I... I really don't remember meeting this gentleman. You don't remember? But you... Just you... a moment, Mr. Haynes. Unfortunately, I remember very little of my trip. You see, we... We had a little celebration. I'm not a drinking man, and... Well, just one or two drinks. But we I... were sitting opposite each other. You were going over some speech you made about calculus, mathematics or something. I'm very sorry, Mr. Haynes. <laughs> I certainly must have been celebrating. If you'll wait outside, Professor. Yes. Yes, of course. Is it so important whether he remembers me or not? Surely the important thing is that I've been able to name a man who was on the train with me. 
Now, you've been able to find him. Isn't that proof of where I was last night? Yes, I'd say you were in the clear, but uh, there is a little more checking I'd like to do. But if I'm in the clear... Take it easy, Mr. Haynes. You're free to go back to Washington right now. Thank you, Captain. Then the police verified his alibi, Father, and, and said he could go. Isn't that about it, dear? Except that... When an alibi is full of scotch, it casts a little doubt. Then the professor was Boyle. He didn't remember me. But he knew you were on the train. Wasn't that enough to prove that that's where you were? I wish I knew. For sure, I mean... Oh, everything's all right, Anne. The police are just being thorough. What's your next move, Guy? Well, whatever it is, the police will know about it. Take a look out the window. My guardian angel. Why, Guy, you're being tailed. That's Detective Leslie Hennessy. He works 16 hours a day. Someone named Hammond takes over for the next eight. As a matter of fact, Hennessy seems like a pretty nice fellow. For your own peace of mind, Guy, perhaps... Well, perhaps if you worked here at the house for the next few days, well, it would be less embarrassing for you. It would be less embarrassing for you, sir, if I resigned as your assistant. That's ridiculous. Of course it is. Besides, don't you have to play in the tennis tournament? I'm withdrawing. But... Wouldn't it look awkward if you suddenly cancelled all your plans? Father's right, Guy. You've got to go on as though nothing had happened. Escorted by Mr. Hennessy. I beg your pardon? What is it, Bessie? A telephone for Mr. Haynes, miss. They say it's urgent. Oh, you can take it right there, Guy. Huh? Oh, oh, yeah. Hello? Hello, Guy. This is Bruno. I was hoping you'd call me before I had... What's the matter? Must have been some mistake. It wasn't for me. I'm learning more and more things about you, Guy. I never dreamed you were so interested in painting. Well, I feel a very warm attachment for this art gallery. For the first time all week, we've actually been alone for an hour. <laughs> By the way, where's Hennessy? Waiting out front. Hadn't we better be leaving? I suppose so. I wonder if we'll ever... Uh, Guy! Have a minute, Guy? Come on, we'll find Hennessy and get a cab. But that man, he, he's calling you, Guy. Oh, excuse me, dear. I'll see what he wants. Will you stop pestering me? You never even answered my note. For the last time, Bruno. You're spoiling everything. You're making me come out in the open. Why didn't you call me? My father's leaving for Florida next week. There's not much time. The detective outside. He'll see us together. Isn't that Ann Morton that you're with? <laughs> Slight improvement over Miriam. Hey, guy? I'm telling you to stay away from me. Who is he, guy? Oh, just some tennis fan. Never saw him before. That's funny. Funny? I mean, uh, I saw him yesterday. Where? Well, he was at the tennis club watching you practice. Oh. He was sitting with Mr. and Mrs. Darville. He, he must be very amusing. He had them in stitches most of the time. Who were the Darvilles? Oh, he's connected with the French embassy. <clears throat> You'll meet them tomorrow night, darling. They'll be at the party. Oh, yeah. Yes, the party. And do you really think I should be there? But I thought we settled that, dear. Of course you should be there. He's watching us, Guy, that man. Come along, dear. Let's go home. <laughs> Who 
Is he, Barbara? That young Frenchman with the David. Oh, he's not French, Daddy. They just introduced me to him. His name's Anthony, Bruno Anthony. Does he look interesting? Why is he looking at you? Daddy, not so loud. He's coming over here. Oh, oh, this is my father, Mr. Anthony. Well, I'm delighted to meet you, Senator. Uh, how, how do you do? Oh, it's a wonderful party, sir. You know, sometime I'd like to talk to you about my idea for harnessing the life force. It'll make atomic power look like the horse and buggy. Well, I'm sure I'm... I'm already developing I, I... my faculty for seeing millions of miles. Senator, can you imagine being able to smell a flower on the planet Mars? I'd like to have lunch with you someday soon, sir, and tell you more about it. I'll see you later, won't I? Uh, that, uh, that, that'll be fine. Uh, later, yes. I still don't remember inviting that young man. I told you, Daddy, the Darvilles just brought him along. Uh, just a minute, Barbara. Where are your glasses? My, my glasses? You're supposed to wear glasses, Barbara. Oh, but, Daddy, even at parties... Not another word. Get your glasses and put them on. <laughs> what are you so concerned about, Guy? If the Darvilles brought him, well, what difference does it make? He shouldn't be here. But you said you don't even know him. Well, I, I just don't like his looks. I don't like the way he's been staring at Barbara. Well, I'm not so sure I blame him. Barbara's very cute, especially when she wears glasses. Besides, he, he seems to be talking to Judge Donahue right now. Judge Donahue? Oh, now, come on, let us, let's go to dinner. There's something else that I want to ask you, Judge Donahue. Uh, after you've sentenced a man to the chair, isn't it difficult to go out and eat your dinner after that? Really, young man. Well, when a murderer's been convicted, he must be sentenced. When he's sentenced to death, he must be executed. Oh, quite impersonal, isn't it? Besides, it doesn't happen every day. Yeah, so few murderers are caught. Uh, if you don't mind, I, I believe I'm being paged. Well, Mr. <coughs> Anthony, you seem very interested in the subject of murder. Well, no more than anyone else, madam. No more than you, for instance. Me? Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I'm not interested in murder. Oh, come now, everyone's interested. Surely you're not going to tell me there hasn't been a time that you didn't want to dispose of someone. <laughs> Good heavens, no. <laughs> you mean to tell me there wasn't a tiny moment when you were made very angry? Well, I... What did you say? <laughs> well, there you are, you see? There you are. Now you've decided to commit a murder. How would you plan to do it? Uh, oh, I didn't get your name. Uh, Mrs. Cunningham. Well, Mrs. Cunningham, how will you do it? Well, uh... I suppose I'd have to get a gun from somewhere. Oh, no, Mrs. Cunningham. Bang, bang, bang all over the place and blood everywhere. Well, uh, what's your idea, Mr. Anthony? Well, I have the best way and the best tools. Yes? My two hands. Simple, oh. silent, and it's quick. Why, of course. <laughs> oh, you must be very strong, Mr. Anthony. <laughs> well, let me show you what I mean. Uh -huh. You don't mind if I borrow your neck for a moment, do you? <laughs> Silly. Very well. Uh, go ahead. Are you? Now watch what I'm doing. Uh-huh. When I nod my head, you just try to cry out. Yes. I'll bet you won't be able to make a sound. <laughs> I'm ready. All right, now. Just wait till I nod my head. All right, 
father. Mrs. Anderson's with her and Judge Donahue. They're up in the bedroom. But Mrs. Cunningham, what happened? How could he have choked her? Well, I don't know for sure. Mrs. Anderson thinks they were playing some, some sort of game. Then when Bessie screamed, he, he fainted. Where is he, Anne? Where's Anne? Guy took him into the study. Then tell Guy to get him out of here as soon as he can. This is a nice item for the gossips. Well, I better get back to the guests. Anne! Oh, Anne! Barbara, what's the matter? It was awful. I saw him. What was he trying to do to her? You saw him. I was standing in the doorway. His hands were on her throat, but he kept staring at me. And he was strangling me. What do you mean? He went into sort of a trance. Oh, it was horrible. He thought he was murdering me. But but why, Anne? Why me? Don't be silly, dear. You're upset. That's all. Now go find Paul. Guy, I fainted, didn't I? I started getting so dizzy. You mad, crazy maniac. You ought to be locked up. Will you get out of here now and let me alone? But, Guy, I like you. Now we've got to talk about my father. You promised to... You shouldn't have done that, Guy. You shouldn't have hit me. Maybe that'll knock a little sense into you. Do you have a car here? Yes, it's outside. It's down the block. Come on, we go out the back way. Guy, did he leave? Anne? I didn't mean to startle you, dear. He has left. Yes. Anne, why'd you come out here? I had to talk to you. Yesterday at the art gallery, that wasn't the first time you met Bruno, was it? What makes you say that? I don't know. Guy, what did Miriam look like? But I... I've told you. I want you to tell me again. Well, she she was dark, not too tall, sort of pretty. What else? What else is there? She wore glasses, didn't she? Yes. Barbara wears glasses, too. And Barbara looks something like Miriam, doesn't she? Doesn't she? No. No, no, not at all. How did you get him to do it, Guy? Get him to do it? He killed Miriam, didn't he? Tell me, didn't he? Yes, Yes, he's a maniac. I met him on the train going to Metcalf. He had some crazy scheme about exchanging murders. If I do his murder, he'd do mine. What do you mean, your murder? Well, he'd read about me in the papers. He knew about Miriam, about you. You must have known he was talking nonsense. But he wasn't. And now a lunatic wants me to kill his father. Too fantastic. You've known about Miriam all this time. Yes. Why don't you call the police? And have them say what you did? How did you get him to do it? If we could only talk to Father or, or someone about it. It's no good, Anne. I can't drag anyone else into this. Guy, what are we going to do? I don't know. I don't know. Bruno? Bruno, this is Guy. I've decided to do what you want about your father. Yes, I want to get it over with. Detective? Oh, don't worry about Hennessy. There's a way out across the roof here to the next apartment. Does anyone know you've come home? 
Then you'd better go out again and stay out until after daylight. I'll be there in 40 minutes. The curtain rises on Act Three of Strangers on a Train, starring Ray Milland as Guy Haynes, Ruth Roman as Ann Morton, and Frank Lovejoy as Bruno Anthony. <laughs> to Guy Haynes, there is only one way out. Now, in the quiet of the night, Guy has entered the Anthony home. With the key and the map of the house that Bruno sent him, Guy has no trouble finding Mr. Anthony's bedroom. Mr. Anthony. Mr. Anthony. Don't be alarmed. I I must talk to you about your son. About Bruno, Mr. Anthony. Wouldn't you feel more at home with the light on, Guy? Bruno? My father isn't home. I was about to tell you that over the phone, but you made such a sudden decision. I, I wondered why. Well, I, I thought your father would be interested to know he has a lunatic son. Then you have no intention of going ahead with our little arrangement? I never had. Bruno, look, you're terribly sick. I don't know much about these things, but why don't you go where you can get some kind of treatment? Not only for your own sake, but you can't go on causing more and more. I don't more. like to be double-crossed, Guy. I have a murder on my conscience. I killed your wife. But it's not just my murder. It's yours, too, isn't it? I guess it's no use trying to talk to you, Bruno. I'll leave. Yes, that man from the police who's supposed to be watching you. You mustn't let him get suspicious, Guy. You can put that gun away, Bruno. Oh, don't worry. I'm not going to shoot you, Guy. It might disturb my mother. <laughs> I'm a very clever fellow. I'll think of something much better than that. Good night, Guy. Hello? Uh, hello, I'd like to speak to Mrs. Anthony, please. Bruno Anthony's mother. This is Bruno's mother. I'm Ann Morton, Mrs. Anthony. Senator Morton's daughter. Oh, Miss Morton, good morning. How nice of you to call. I'd like to see you, Mrs. Anthony, just as quickly as possible. Why, that would be lovely. Do come over, do. Thank you, I'll leave right away. I'd come here, Mrs. Anthony, but I simply had to tell you. Oh, Miss Morton, really. I know Bruno's been in some very awkward scrapes, but nothing so ridiculous as a murder. But you have to make him do something about this. Don't you see that just one word from him would get Guy out of a dreadful situation? Well, but how can you take this seriously? It's just some practical joke, dear. Bruno's so terribly irresponsible. Oh, he gets into all sorts of escapades. But you don't seem to understand. Your son's responsible for a woman's death. Did Bruno tell you this? Well, no, of course not. Well, there you are. Well, now, it was very nice of you to call, Miss Morton. Do come and see us again sometime, won't you? 
I'm afraid Mother wasn't very much help, was she? If you don't mind, I think I'd better leave. Mother hasn't been too well for some time. She's a little, well... Uh, how shall I say it? She's confused. You know, I'm very upset with Guy. He shouldn't have sent you. Guy doesn't know I'm here, Mr. Anthony. He's at the tennis club, isn't he? He will be. Oh, yes, he's playing Reynolds this afternoon. It's a very important match. He must be very desperate to try to involve me. Try to involve you? Well, I've been protecting Guy ever since he told me how much he hated his wife. Do you know, Miss Morton, that Guy tried to get me to go back to that amusement park some night after dark and look for his cigarette lighter? What's a cigarette lighter got to do with... Well, he dropped it there right after he... Well, uh, after that night. You see, all the police are waiting for is one piece of evidence to convict Guy for the murder. I can't tell you how worried I Please am. Please stop. Miss Morton, I do sympathize with you, but I just couldn't do what he asks. Why, that would make me an accessory. his house and came straight here to the club guy. You shouldn't have gone there, darling. Well, Bruno told me if the police ever found your lighter there, that's all they need. Something to prove you were there when she was murdered. Bruno has my lighter. I know, you told me. That lie about my wanting him to get it back. That means he's going back to Metcalf, back to the amusement park. He's going to drop it there, somewhere where they'll find it. Oh, guy, I wanted so to help, but I'm afraid all I did is make things worse. He said last night he'd think of something. Well, give him credit, he certainly has. Well, you've got to get to Metcalf before he does. You haven't time to play. You better tell them now. No. If I try to avoid this match, Hennessy's bound to get suspicious. I have him out of his sight all day. Then I'll go. There's a train and an You'll stay right here. I'll try to give Hennessy the slip right after the match. But, darling, that'll be too late. Didn't Bruno say I wanted him to go there some night after dark? Yes. Well, he won't expose himself in daylight. If I can finish off this match, I'll still have time. All ready, guy. You go on in a few minutes. I'll be right out there. Now, look, Anne, here's what you better do. Get hold of Barbara, and just as soon as... Isn't he wonderful, Mr. Hennessy? Huh? Oh, uh, how are you, Barbara? Oh, uh, this here's Mr. Hammond. Mr. Hammond, this here's the senator's other daughter. Hi. Oh, yes, I've seen Mr. Hammond outside the house. He's a detective, too. You and he take turns, don't you? Uh, yeah, something like that. But if he's your relief man, why would the two of you be here together? Uh, look, you're I'm... a nice kid, Barbara. Now, watch him hit the little ball and don't ask so many questions. Dan. The cab's outside waiting to take Guy to the station. I gave him $10. But what about those two detectives? They're still over there near the dressing rooms waiting for Guy to finish the match. Gosh, I've never seen Guy play so fast in my life. Well, he's got to get on that train. Barbara, now once again, as soon as the match is over, Guy's going to run out through the clubhouse. Just do your best to delay those detectives from coming after him. All Guy will need is a few seconds. Well, just leave it to me, Anne. Oh, I'm real good at getting in people's way. <laughs> Looks like we're out of luck, Hammond. Hands beat us to it by about two minutes. The guy says he bought a ticket to Metcalf. Well, what are we waiting for? The train just pulled out. We can still have him flag it down before Ah, uh, relax. Up. Let him go to Metcalf. We'll phone Captain Turley and let them take over at that end. Uh, 
that nutty little thing. Ah, Barbara's a nice kid. Maybe it was an accident. Pushing you in the fish pond? Just one thing that puzzles me. What's Haynes' big rush to get the Metcalf? What's he going back for? Come on, Hennessy. Let's phone Turley. Here you are, folks. Here you are. Get them while they're hot. They're fresh roasted. They're jumbos. Peanuts, mister? What time does it get dark around here? <laughs> What's the hurry, Jack? Here you are, folks. Those fresh roasted peanuts. What time does it get dark, I said? Well, hang around, bud. Hang around. You'll find out. Get them right here, folks. They're sure doing business down at this end of the park. Are they? Oh, day and night. Ever since that girl got murdered. People want to see the scene of the crime. Oh. Well, where did it happen? Right over there. Them picnic ground across the lagoon. Lover's Lane. Yes, sir. They sure been cleaning up. I don't think it's a very nice way to make money. Well, these folks got to eat too, ain't they? For a while, the smoochers wouldn't go near the place. I'm afraid I don't know what a smoocher is. Okay, so I ain't educated. Wait a minute, Mister. You got a match? No. Well, you got a lighter. Keep fooling with that lighter in your hand. Oh, it's just a. Here, buy yourself a box of matches. Characters, places full of characters. Hello, this is Sergeant Adams. I'm phoning from the station. Is put Captain Turley on the phone? This is Turley. Uh, Haynes just got off the train, sir. He took a cab. He told the driver to take him to the amusement park. All right, good. Pick up your men and go to the park. I'll take a group from here. We'll be waiting for him. That's all, Adams. Hello, Bruno. I've been looking all over for you. You shouldn't have come here, Guy. This could be very dangerous for you. It'd be more dangerous if I left you here alone, wouldn't it, Bruno? But this is where it happened, Guy. This is really where it happened. They try to make people believe it happened near the concessions. They figure it'll make more money that way. I came after my cigarette lighter. I want that lighter, Bruno. Don't be foolish, Guy. You're just proving a theory for them. Murderer returning to the scene of his... Give it to me! Give it to me before Stand I... Stand where you are, Haynes! Stand where you are! I've got the man you want right here. He's... Stop him! Stop him, he'll get away! Don't make a move, Haynes, or we'll shoot! He's getting away! I can't let him get away! This way, Captain Turley! The roller coaster! They ran toward the roller coaster! All right, just watch your fire. There are too many people here. Keep those people back. The one we want. It's the other one, the one who ran. What do you mean it isn't Haynes? I remembered him. I seen him here that night when the girl was killed. Two young fellas was with her. And this one, he kept following. He kept looking at her. I remember real plain. You realize what you're saying? I was talking to him before. I asked him for a match. It's the same one. All right, two men, surround the area. Over here, Captain, the roller coaster. They're under the roller coaster, under the tracks. What? Shut it off! Turn off the roller coaster. Well, it's out of order. It's closed down. Who turned it on? He did. The one who was running away. Turn the switch and kept the key. That's one way of keeping us out of there. But the track is being repaired. When those cars come down there, they're scattered all over the place. All right, find the main switch and turn it off. Stay where you are, guy. Don't come any closer. Well, you run to now, Bruno. They're all around here. The police, Bruno. They won't get me. Not alive. I've got a gun. That's not for you, Bruno. You're much too clever to use a gun. I'll kill you and then I'll kill myself. I'll kill you first and then I'll... <laughs> 
You better start talking, Haynes. What's this all about? Well, he, he had my cigarette lighter. He came back here tonight to, to plant it, to pin the whole thing on me. Cigarette lighter, huh? Let me talk to him, please. All right, take it easy now. Over here. He's in a pretty bad way, Captain. Can't you lift that stuff off him? Now, we've done everything we can until the crane comes. Hello, guy. Who was that with you? This is Captain Turley, Bruno. Police. Oh, they got you at last, huh, guy? Tell him, Bruno. Tell him you have my lighter. But I haven't got it, Guy. Must still be over there where you dropped it that night. He dropped it, huh? Sorry, Guy. I want to help you. I don't know what I can do. Captain Turley, may I go through his pockets? No, of course you can. Besides, he says he hasn't got it. But if he dies before he... There's no more it. This man's dead, Captain. His hand. He's got something in his hand. See what it is, Mac. It's a lighter, Captain. A cigarette lighter. Here, let me see that. From A to G. From N to Guy. Looks like you were right, Haynes. Well, I better keep this for a while. How about staying in town overnight? I imagine there's a lot you may want to tell me. Yes, I imagine there is. Captain, may I use the telephone? Sure, go ahead. There's one up near the entrance. Say, who was he, mister? That guy. His name was Bruno Anthony. A very clever fellow. Yes, Guy. Yes, darling. Well, of course I'll be there. I'll leave right away. Father, Barbara, it was Guy. He's safe and he's free. Guy? Yes, dear? That man across the alley, he keeps looking at you. Oh? He's a minister, I... I didn't know you knew any ministers. I beg your pardon, but aren't you Guy Haynes? I'm sorry, sir, but when I was a very little boy, my mother warned me never speak to strangers on a train. Heard in our cast tonight were Patricia Hitchcock as Barbara, Ed Begley as father, Martha Wentworth as mother, and Jean Bates, Herb Butterfield... Norma Varden, Bill Conrad, Norman Field, Ted DeCorsia, Wally Mayer, Bill Johnstone, Olin Soule, Ralph Moody, Eddie Marr, Margie List, Brad Brown, and Alan Wood. Our play was adapted by S.H. Barnett, and our music was directed by Rudy Schrager. This is your announcer, John Milton Kennedy. This is the CBS Radio Network. Would you hear all those supporting cast members? <laughs> Herb Butterfield? William Conrad, Bill Johnstone, man, there was just a big, big cast, and uh, what a good job they did. That was Strangers on a Train, a radio adaptation of the original Alfred Hitchcock film as presented on Lux Radio Theater back on December the 2nd in 1951. Something familiar. Something familiar. Something Something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. 
situation, no complications, nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, Coming up on our Comedy Corner tonight, we're going back to high school, Madison High School, for an episode of Our Miss Brooks. So it's a pretty good one. This one was one of the earlier episodes from January 1949. Actually, January 16th, 1949. I've often thought that one of the hardest things in teaching would be, a, uh, would be to be a substitute teacher, not knowing what you're being called in for. So all I, I remember in high school, we had the same substitute teachers we had sometimes in middle school and even in elementary school. So one day you're teaching a sixth grade class, and the next day you're teaching a high school civics class. That would be difficult. And that's sort of what Connie Brooks finds herself in for tonight when she is called upon to teach a class that she is not familiar with. And it ends up being pretty darn funny. So let's go back to January the 16th, 1949, for this episode of Our Miss Brooks, entitled Student Government. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Last Friday was Student Government Day a day upon which the entire administration of the city is handed over to high school pupils who have been elected by their classmates. Well, ordinarily, our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, would have very little to do with this event. But unfortunately, Miss Johnson, the civics teacher, took ill on Thursday, and our principal, Mr. Conklin, suggested that I take over her class. Of course, I didn't have to accept the assignment. I just figured that teaching is better than being totally unemployed. In some states, it's better. (laughs) At any rate, I conducted Miss Johnson's civics class on Thursday, and on the subject, what would I do if I held public office, the class and I had quite a spirited discussion. And in view of later developments, I'm sorry I didn't listen. But Friday morning finally rolled around, and the entire student body and faculty gathered in the assembly hall to hear Mr. Conklin officially proclaim it Student Government Day. Mr. Boynton, my bashful biologist, was sitting in the front row, and accidentally, with the aid of two bloodhounds, I found myself sitting right next to him. (laughs) Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Why, Mr. Boynton, this is a surprise. To you, anyway. (laughs) I didn't see you sit down. I believe I left my notebook on that seat. It's just some lecture notes on the North American porcupine. Oh, sorry, Mr. Boynton, I didn't even notice it. He must have pulled in his quills. (laughs) Here you are. Thanks. I'll just hold it in my lap. Why don't we let the notebook have the seat and you could hold... No, not in school like that. (laughs) You know, Miss Brooks, something just occurred to me. We're always sitting next to each other in assembly. Fate seems to be throwing us together. Compared to my throwing, fate is a sandlot pitcher. (laughs) But perhaps you're right, Mr. Boynton. Maybe we should give fate a helping hand. I'm free for lunch today. How about you? Or would you rather ask me? Or am I being too subtle? (laughs) Oh, darn that bell. I'll have to get him in the next round. (laughs) Students, faculty members, and honored guests. First of all, as your principal, I would like to announce that because this is Student Government Day, school will be suspended. Please, please, please. 
<laughs> I sympathize with your disappointment. But as you know, Student Government Day has been tried successfully in many other communities. And I have always been ready to experiment in any progressive plan to foster good citizenship. That is why you see before you on this platform our honored guest, Mayor Rimson. Now, Mayor Rimson, would you care to say a few words? Of course not. He only brought those nine pages along to put his gum in. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Conklin, for your generous introduction. <clears throat> As I look out upon this ocean of young, eager, intelligent faces, a tide of emotion swells up in me. I'm getting a little seasick myself. <laughs> and as I think of the glorious future which this community can look forward to at the hands of these youths, I am deeply touched. I have always been well informed on the affairs of young people. He ought to be. He's kissed so many babies you can't see his tie for the pablum. <laughs> And so it is with considerable pride that I now inaugurate for the first time in this community Student Government Day. Therefore, without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce to you your duly elected mayor, Miss Harriet Conklin. You may applaud now. Thank you. My constituents, friends, and Mayor Rimson. I intend to show this community something new and different by making my term of office a clean and honest administration. Well, now... We will not tolerate graft and corruption. We know. Thank you, Harriet Conklin. As Miss Brooks said in our civics class yesterday, the racketeers must go no matter what politician is protecting them. Oh, that Miss Brooks certainly is a card. <laughs> that will be all, Harriet. Did you really say that in civics class? I don't know. I wasn't listening. <laughs> Mayor Rimson, allow me to apologize for my daughter's enthusiasm. Uh, she was obviously referring to the aims of city governments in general without realizing that those aims have already been attained in our community. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> and now... It is my extreme pleasure to introduce the student who has been elected your chief of police, Walter Denton. Thank you, thank you, friends. As your incumbent police chief, I cannot re-emphasize too forcefully the remarks Miss Brooks made in civics class yesterday. <laughs> to wit, every crook and grafter who has been malting the city treasury of funds has got to... <laughs> Thank you, Chief of Police Walter Denton. I haven't finished my speech. Oh, yes, you have, Denton. But, Mr. Conklin, as Miss Brooks said just yesterday... This is not a symposium on the memoirs of Miss Brooks. Or maybe it is. Miss Brooks, you here? No, I couldn't make it today. What's that? Oh, oh, there you are. Before we go any further, isn't there something you'd like to say? Yes, sir. Is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> Yes, Miss Brooks, I did. In spite of my abject apologies, Mayor Rimson left here in a very ugly mood. Now, Miss Brooks, just what happened in civics class yesterday? Well, we had an open discussion, and 
Somebody opened it wider than I realized. <laughs> but we only discussed corrupt city administrations in general, Mr. Conklin. We made no specific mention of Mayor Rimson's corrupt administration. <laughs> I mean, uh... Uh, never, never mind what you mean. Thanks to you, we've got a band of young malcontents on our hands. Why, not five minutes ago, a student delegation was in here demanding a three-day school week. And that's not all. They also informed me that they would like a four-hour day, starting from the moment they leave home till the moment they arrive back there. <laughs> that's portal to portal. <laughs> Next thing you know, they'll be wanting time and a half for leaving the room. <laughs> There's no telling how far this thing can go. They've got the whip hand. They're in public office today. Student government day indeed. Whoever thought up that crack-brained idea ought to have his head examined. Bend over, Mr. Conklin. What? It was your idea. Oh, well, don't change the subject. There's no telling what... <laughs> As I was saying, there's no telling what that student reform party is capable of doing. Miss Brooks, it's up to you to see that they stay out of mischief. But, Mr. Conklin, you said this was a holiday, and I've got a very important lunch date to make. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Miss Brooks. You've got to chaperone those students. But, Mr. Conklin... Dismiss, but Miss Brooks. I said fall out. On the double. Aye, aye, sir. <laughs> Fine way to spend a holiday, chaperoning a bunch of... What am I running about? I'm halfway down the hall. <laughs> well, that's funny. I stopped right outside Mr. Boynton's biology lab. Well, I might as well go in now that I'm here. <laughs> oh, hello, Miss Brooks. Well, say, I hope Mr. Conklin wasn't too severe with you. Not at all, Mr. Boynton. How are you at setting bones? And speaking of lunch, which you weren't, the date we almost had, but didn't quite because you didn't get around to asking me and which I was going to talk you into, but which I would have had to cancel because Mr. Conklin wants me to chaperone the students who are acting as government officials today. Oh, just a minute, Miss Brooks. I, I can't quite follow you. Me either, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> I suppose I'm trying to apologize for standing you up. When? Today. You were supposed to have lunch with me today? How nice of you to ask me. <laughs> Shall we say the front steps in 15 minutes? Oh, but... I just I... want to powder my nose and fix up a bit. But you said something about chaperoning the students. Oh, that can or... wait till after lunch. See you in a little while, Mr. Boynton. I wonder if I'm playing too hard to get. <laughs> now, if I can just avoid Her Honor the Mayor and Walter Denton. Well, Walter, there's Miss Brooks. Uh -oh. Hiya, Miss Brooks. We've been looking for you. I've been lurking from you, too. Miss <laughs> Brooks, as mayor of this community, I feel that I have you to thank for many of my high ideals. Me too, Miss Brooks. When you stood up in civics class yesterday with a, a kind of glowing, luminous light emanating from your skull and your chalk <laughs> poised in front of the blackboard, you know who you reminded me of? Joan of Arc at the Battle of the Erasers. Look, kids, I promised Mr. Conklin I'd chaperone you today, Wonderful, but I have... Miss Brooks. We're really going to clean up this town. You have no idea what's going on in this town, Miss Brooks. If you'll just stick with us, we'll show you graft and corruption, infamy and greed. I'd rather have Mr. Boynton show me spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> now, if you'll just keep quiet about it, I'll meet Mr. Boynton for lunch. Lunch? And... But what about the ideas of decent, honest government that you had yesterday? Yeah, and don't you want to be in at the kill? Who are we killing? I'm afraid we'll have to take an executive action, Walter. Right. Miss Brooks, I assume you still believe in obedience to duly elected authority? Of course I do, Walter. Then, as chief of police, I hereby appoint you deputy sheriff. 
For the rest of the day, Miss Brooks, you'll take orders from me. But, Walter... Silence! Oui, mon capitaine. Here, with this badge, I hereby make you a deputy sheriff. Look, Walter, to you I'm a deputy sheriff, and to Harriet I'm a deputy sheriff. But to a deputy sheriff, am I a deputy sheriff? Hmm? <laughs> Walter. Why, Miss Brooks? Oh, oh, the siren. Oh, that's on our car. I put it on this morning. I don't want to see insubordinate, Chief, but just where are we going? To the Jackpot Amusement Company's warehouse. We've been watching the place for weeks, Miss Brooks, in preparation for today. And we've seen truckloads of slot machines delivered there. Slot machines? Sure. The kind they put in the back of candy stores where little school kids can spend their lunch money in a futile effort to get rich quick. You know... Where you pull a lever and try to hit as many bumpers as possible? Oh, the game I play in my car. Well, those kind aren't so bad. It's the one-armed bandits that keep the kids broke. Oh, they're all fixed. Fixed? Sure. If a machine pays back more than five cents on a dollar, they break its arm. Here we are, the Jackpot Amusement Company. What are we going to do here? We're going to raid the place. We three? No, there's another bunch of kids coming any minute. You see, the fire commissioner had to go home and change his pants. He tore him sliding down the pole at the firehouse. (laughs) Well, are you all ready, men? Speaking for some of us, men, no. Now, when I blow my police whistle, we'll charge. Sorry, I don't have an account here. (laughs) Let's go. I'm with you, Walter. Oh, now, Walter, Harriet, listen. Let's go to a movie. Open up in the name of the law. Are you going to open up or do we have to break it in? Walter, please. Stand him back of Miss Brooks, Harriet. Oh, fine. Now they're going to use me for a battering ram. <laughs> What's going on out here? Trick or treat. <laughs> What's that? Are you one of the employees of the Jackpot Amusement Company? What if I am? You're under arrest. What? Miss Brooks, you're a deputy sheriff. Arrest this man. Pull over to the curb, bud. (laughs) Look, lady, I'm a busy man. Why don't you just take your kids over to the playground and shove them down a sharp slide? (laughs) Now beat it. Oh, resisting arrest, eh? This may go hard with you, my good man. What's going on here? Who blew the police whistle? I did. Officer, arrest this man. What did he do? He tried to get fresh with you, lady. No, and that's the story of my life. (laughs) And what do you want him arrested for? Yours not to reason why. As your chief of police, I gave an order. Your duty is to obey. How does that go again, Sonny? You heard him, officer. As mayor, I decree that you arrest this individual. Let me get this straight. You're the mayor, and he's the chief of police. Ah, who are you, lady? I'm Joan of Arc, and stop breathing on my armor. I do not wish to be rude, but I have to go in now. You see, I am Little Miss Muffet, and I have to go sit on my tuffet for a while. This is your last chance, officer. Arrest that man in there, or tomorrow you'll be pounding a beat in a swamp. Oh, pounding a beat in a swamp, is it? Do you realize this is insubordination? Oh. Insubordination, is it? You've just got to arrest that man. Oh, arrest that man, is it? This is getting monotonous, was it? (laughs) Look, folks, why don't you all run along and we'll forget about the whole thing? Oh, that settles it. 
Miss Brooks, arrest this policeman. Arrest this policeman, is it? Now, don't start that again. Will you go quietly, or do I have to use the bracelets? Take it easy, lady. We'll settle this in a minute. That doesn't frighten anybody. I got one of those, too. Good for you, Sonny. Some people don't seem to be familiar with the Constitution of the United States, which says, we, the people of the United States or of America, for that matter, the in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice. Little Jack Horner sat in the corner eating his Christmas pie He stuck in his thumb and pulled out a plum, and along came the Black Mariah. <laughs> Brooks. He won't even listen to us. Let me call him. After all, I'm still mayor. Fine mayor. She's been in office six hours and the whole administration's up the river. <laughs> it's as much your fault as mine. You and your police whistle. Now, don't start bickering, children. Maybe if we behave ourselves, they'll make us trustees. Hello out there. Oh, guard. Jailer. Turnkey. Shut up. My, what ill-bred screws. <laughs> yes, yes, Mrs. Denton, I'll call you the minute I hear from Walter. Goodbye. Imagine that, Martha. Mrs. Denton wanted me to call the police department. How would they know where her son Walter is? I can't understand it, Martha. You can't understand what, Osgood. That's the fifth parent who's called me up to ask why her child hasn't come home for dinner yet. You'd think they'd keep track of their children and not suddenly discover at 7 o'clock that they haven't come home for dinner yet. By the way, where's Harriet? She hasn't come home for dinner yet. What? Well, don't just stand there. Do something. Call Miss Brooks. I put the children in her charge. Call the police. The Bureau of Missing Persons. Get the district attorney. Contact the mayor. Find out if there's somebody else. Why don't they... Well, maybe you could get hold of them. But I don't know what you... What are you just standing there for? I'm here to... I'm concerned about you. are not concerned. Why don't you do something? Get going. Osgood! <laughs> Sometimes you sound like a walrus caught in a Turkish bath. <laughs> I did call Miss Brooks. Mrs. Davis says she wasn't home yet. Poor woman. She's had dinner on since six. She's terribly worried about her stewed tomatoes. Please stop sniveling about Mrs. Davis's tomatoes. We've got our own tomato to worry about. <laughs> Please, dear, calm down a little. Here, have some fruit. It's very good for the nerves. I don't want any fruit. Oh, that's probably Harriet now. I'll answer it. I mustn't lose my temper. I must be calm. (laughs) Hello. Osgood. You're talking in a banana. (laughs) No wonder with the house all cluttered up with fruit bowls. Hello? Is that you, Harriet? No, Osgood. This is Margaret Davis. Oh. I've just had a call from Miss Brooks. You have? Yes, sounds good. Harriet, Walter, Denton, and several of the other students are with her. Oh, oh, thank heavens. Tell me, Margaret, where are the children and Miss Brooks? They're in jail, Osgood. Fine, fine. You see, Martha, I told you there was nothing to worry about. Miss Brooks and the children are all in jail. <laughs> Martha, take this phone out of my hands and put back the banana. <laughs> Here are the 
prisoners, young fella. You may talk with them, but don't try to pass anything through the bars. Oh, thank you. Why, it's Mr. Boynton. Hi, Mr. Boynton. We've been framed. About that luncheon date, I don't think I can make it. <laughs> what is all this, Miss Brooks? Haven't you heard? We're celebrating Student Convict Day. <laughs> we were only doing our duty as public servants, but Mayor Rimson must have forgotten to notify any of the other authorities. Yeah, we raided some racketeers, and the next thing we knew, we were in the pie wagon. Well, they, they have no right to hold you here. Oh, officer. Officer. What is it now? Why, there, there's been a mistake. Please open this cell and let these people out of here. Oh, let these people out of here, is it? Well, yes, it just happens that I've had quite a bit of legal training in addition to my biological background, and I can tell you that you have no legal basis upon which to hold them any longer. Good for you, Mr. Boynton. That's telling him, Mr. B. And furthermore, I'm sure you don't want to get into any trouble. Oh, I don't, don't I? Tell him you'll have him pounding a beat in the swamp. Uh, <laughs> if you persist in this belligerent attitude, you're liable to be pounding a beat in a swamp. That's done it! <laughs> I knew you'd see it my way. At last, Mr. Boynton, just you and I and the children. <laughs> this is absurd. I don't belong in this cell. Now oh, behave sir. yourself. Behave yourself or I'll put you in solitary. Oh, there you are, Connie. Why, it's Mrs. Davis. I would have been here sooner, but I just had to stop at the mass meeting. What mass meeting, Mrs. Davis? Oh, Mr. Boynton is with you. How nice. Uh Please, Mrs. Davis, we've got to get out of here. Now, if you'll only see... Everybody in town was there, Connie. And I told them what you said to me on the phone about student government day being run all wrong. Good for you, Mrs. Davis. Now maybe we'll get some action. Where's the Brooks cell? <laughs> the line forms on your left. I also told those parents how you said that if you had been running student government day instead of Mr. Conklin, there wouldn't have been so much dunderheaded bumbling. Uh, bumbling? Oh, hello, Osgood. We were just talking about you. Anybody want to buy a used teacher's license? <laughs> well, I guess I'll be running along. Now that Mr. Conklin's here, I'm sure there's nothing further to worry about. Miss Brooks, how could you... Why did you have to... When were you... Oh, please, Mr. Conklin, remember your blood pressure. It wasn't Miss Brooks' fault, Daddy. Don't blame her. And you, Harriet, in prison. How could you do this to me? My own flesh and blood. If you've got his blood, Harriet, you better watch your pressure, too. <laughs> Quiet, Denton. Miss Brooks, it's my painful duty to inform you that you are under suspension for conduct unbecoming a teacher. Have you anything to say in your own defense? Yes, Your Honor, I'd like a new trial. On, uh, on what ground? On the grounds that I'm not doing so well in this one. Well, we'll discuss that at the proper time. Meanwhile, you children remain here in Mr. Boynton's charge until I can arrange to have... Mr. Boynton? Hello, Mr. Conklin. What in the world are you doing here? I'm just visiting, Mr. Conklin. One of those guests you just can't get rid of. <laughs> Well, we'll see all about this. I'm going straight to Mayor Rimson's office. I'll handle this matter personally. Oh, but what'll I do in the meantime? With a little luck, 30 days. <laughs> well, you've done a lot for me, H.J., but I can't understand why we're dumping this slot machine deal. Because it's too hot, Mayor. Besides, our cut ain't big enough. Also, the people are up in arms. The people? What do they know about it? Ed, I'm surprised at you. What do my initials stand for? H.J., Honest Jim. I'm the people's friend, Ed, and we got an election coming up. We can't afford to let the people get upset, or the first thing you know, they'll start thinking for themselves. And then where are we? 
Okay, Jim, okay. I'll have the jackpot company get rid of those machines right away. No, I've got a better idea. Ed, you're going to make yourself a hero with every parent in this community. Huh? You're going to let the kids do this job, the kids who were elected to public office for this one day. Wonderful, Jim, wonderful. I'll call all my department heads and I'll tell them the students holding office that I have complete authority. Fine, Ed. It's democracy in action. That's what it is. Yes, sir, democracy in action. <laughs> and Mayor Rimson is solidly behind it. Until, Until after election. <laughs> Which one of you is Mayor Harriet Conklin? I am. Step out, please. Now, which one of you is Chief of Police Denton? Oh, that's me. Come on out. I've had orders to release the both of you. Oh, but what about Miss Brooks and myself? Sorry, my orders didn't say anything about you two. But I insist that you release them immediately. Quiet, Walter. Orders are orders. Well, in spite of everything, Walter and Harriet got us out of jail promptly. And that wasn't the only thing Student Government Day accomplished. The racketeers left town almost immediately. In fact, the very next day, Walter took me out to the jackpot warehouse for a last look at the place. Pretty deserted now, isn't it? Yes, it is, Walter. Let's go in and see if they've cleaned out the slot machines. I'm going to look around in back, Miss Brooks. Go ahead, Walter. Say, here's one of those nickel machines. <laughs> what a racket. Naturally, two lemons and an anchovy. <laughs> if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Crime does not pay. Another Our Miss Brooks show. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, Helen Spring, Hans Conried, Hal March, and Herb Vigrin. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting pun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations and be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Stay tuned now for Lum and Abner. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting Center. It was Our Miss Brooks, and the name of that episode was Student Government Day, and that was originally heard on CBS back on the 16th of January in 1949. I remember it well. I was uh, one year and one month old. So I guess I don't remember it. Seems like I remember it. I do remember our Miss Brooks on television and loved Gail Gordon. Gail Gordon, I guess, will always be associated with, uh, with Lucille Ball. I think he actually had roles in just about everything she ever did. But I will always remember him as Mr. Conklin. I don't know. Whenever I think of Gail Gordon, that's a role I've thought of for, for years. He was born Charles T. Aldrich, Jr. He was born in New York City. He was the son of an actress, also of a vaudevillian. 
Gail Gordon's first big radio break came as uh, Mayor Latribia on Fibber McGee and Molly. I didn't know this. He was the first actor to play Flash Gordon in the 1935 radio serial, The Amazing Interplanetary Adventures of Flash Gordon. In 1949, Gordon recorded the pilot for The Halls of Ivy. I have that. We've never played it. I, I think we've played the original show. Ronald Coleman. Uh, Gail Gordon was good. He's always good. But Ronald Coleman was made for that role. But he played Todd Hunter Hall, the president of Ivy College, in the pilot. But then, of course, Ronald Coleman went on. Let's see. In 1950, Gordon played John Granby in the radio series Granby's Green Acres, which became the basis for the 1960s television series Green Acres. Gordon went on to create the pompous role of Principal Osgood Conklin on RMS Brooks, and he carried that role into television when the show moved there in 1952. He also turned up as Rudolph Atterbury on My Favorite Husband, which was, of course, with Lucille Ball. Gordon also had a recurring role as fictitious Rexall drug sponsor, Representative Mr. Scott, on the Phil Harris Alice Faye show. Gil Gordon uh, was born in 1906. He died in 1995. He was uh, married to Virginia from 1937 to 1995. So that is a long marriage. Great guy. Great guy, Gail Gordon. Now. No! that music means. That music means it's time for us to travel back to the Old West, the 1870s. We're going to Dodge City, Kansas. We're walking up Front Street shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon, maintaining the law in this wide open, wild frontier town. Time to meet up with Doc and Chester and Matt and Kitty and the whole gang on this uh, this episode that was first broadcast back on the 25th of April in 1953. Every once in a while, a script would come along where Matt doesn't use the best judgment in the world. And that's kind of what we're faced with here tonight. When two soldiers come to Dodge City, a decision that Matt makes puts their careers in serious jeopardy. Matt is faced with a situation of not knowing what to do about it. 
It's a good one, and it's entitled Soldiers. Here it comes. Around Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with the U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. What'd you say your name is, soldier? Gallagher. That's my name. All right, Gallagher. Now, don't you think you've had enough? It isn't even night yet. I'll never have enough. You plan to show up at the fort this drunk? Lady, maybe I won't show up at the fort at all. Now, what do you think of that? Gallagher, you better start worrying about what Captain Shaw's gonna think, not her. Hey, what are you doing here, Spear? I've been an hour looking for you all over Dodge. How'd you get that drunk in an hour, anyways? Drinking! <laughs> are you responsible for this? Oh, sure. The Indians pay me to keep you soldiers drunk. That ain't funny. He's a grown man, isn't he? That's not the point. What's the point? You shut up, Gallagher. We'll be an hour late now, and that's all Captain Shaw needs to Captain fix us. Captain Shaw can go hang. You wasn't so drunk, I'd leave you and just ride out alone. Yeah, that'd be just like you, Spear. Just like you. Come on, get up out of that chair. I'll drag you out. Oh, leave me be. Come on. I ain't have started here yet. Eh? Cut your peaches, gal. Thunder ain't raised. Shut up, Gallagher. Why don't you listen to your friend? You're just going to get into trouble here. Who's kissing your hand anyway? That's no way to talk. Eh? I'll kill you for that. Spear! Beat your gun! All right. You want the same treatment, soldier? Huh? I had nothing to do with it, Marshal. What? He was drunk. And you're cold sober. Of course I am. It's true, Matt. He just came in looking for him on the floor there, Gallagher. I'll take your gun, soldier. Well, you can't do this, Marshal. All right, now pick up your friend. We're going to Matt, jail. Matt, listen to me. Gallagher started it. He was only trying to get him out of here. Back to the fort. He can take him back tomorrow. Fighting's against the law in Dodge. No, Matt. Come on, let's get going, soldier. Pick him up. past week we'd had nothing but trouble in Dodge. 
Men had fought and gouged and knifed and shot each other till I began to wonder if they gave a thought to anything else in the world. It had set my temper on edge, and I suppose I'd become as bullheaded as they were. Anyway, I threw the soldiers in jail and went off to supper and forgot about them. For some reason, the town was reasonably peaceful that night. The change sort of took the edge off of me. Next morning, I felt half-human for the first time in days. I turned that cowboy loose early, Mr. Dillon. He seemed tolerably repentant. Well, he should be, Chester. But those two soldiers look pretty glum. What are you going to do with them, sir? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you better go back and let them out, huh, Chester? We'll have the army in here looking for them if we don't. Yes, sir. You've done your time, man. The law has forgiven you. Out you go, free as little birds. Oh. Oh, that sunlight will blind me this morning. We ain't about done our time, mister. In real trouble now. Oh, why do you say that? Because it's true. We were sent to Dodge to pick up supplies, not to go to jail. You're not the first soldiers who've camped here overnight. Colonel Doby's a just man. Captain Shaw's in command right now, Marshal. Colonel went to St. Louis for a time. Well, I don't know, Captain Shaw, but I'm sure... He's just about as reasonable as you are, Marshal. Just about. Uh, You're Spear, aren't you? And I was as sober yesterday, remember? I locked you up for fighting, not drinking. You locked us up. That's all that matters now. Spear's right, Marshal. I guess I deserve what I'm going to get, but Spear don't. Nobody was killed. You're not going to hang. You don't know Captain Shaw. He can be awful hard. A little extra duty won't hurt you. First off, we'll be fined $10 by court-martial. One month's pay. That's a little high, I agree. There's nothing to what the cat might do on top of it. He's old army. They say one time he gave a man ten days' provisions and had him drummed out of camp with a straw halter around his neck and his coat turned inside out. And that was Indian country, Marshal, not around here. Why, the man's a scoundrel, that's what he is. Say, how'd the fellow make out, anyway? You'll have to ask Captain Shaw about that, if he knows. Well, the man must have done more than get drunk and fight. He won't get that kind of punishment. No, but close to it. Captain's dead set against liquor. Not a man in the company's been allowed a drop since Colonel Doby left. Is that so? Sure is. Look, Marshal, I got it coming, but Spear here, all he'd done was try to get me back to the fort. You you gotta try to do something about Never it. Never mind, Gallagher. He won't do nothing. Spear, I guess I was a little hasty locking you up. I, uh, I'm sorry about it. So am I. All right. What can I do? Ride out and explain it to Captain Shaw. I don't like interfering in army matters. But, uh, all right, I'll do it. You will? Yeah, but I can't today. Well, tomorrow won't be too late. I'll be out there tomorrow afternoon. I don't know whether to trust you or not, Marshal. 
And you'll have to find out if you can, Mr. Spear. Yeah. You can't blame him much, Marshal, but I sure hope you do it. All right, boys, you're late enough now. You better get going. Come on, Spear. While you're talking to Captain Shaw, I think I'll go see the sutler, Mr. Dillon. He's an old friend of mine. All right, Chester. Name's Larson. Been selling goods to soldiers for ten years that I know of. Say, I'll eat with him, too, in case you should get asked for supper. Oh, fine, fine. Say, doesn't that look like Spear there? Where? Just outside the fort there, the man with the shovel. Oh, yeah. Say, what's he digging, anyway? Come on, let's ride over there. Hello, Spirit. You're too late, Marshal. Why? What's happened? We've already been tried, that's what. Well, what'd they give you? Two months' pay and a month's punishment. What punishment? I don't know, Marshal. The captain will work on that from day to day. He's got lots of ideas. Is this one of them? Digging that hole out here? This isn't exactly a hole, mister. It's a grave. A grave? Whose grave? Mine. Oh, now, wait a minute, Spear. Well, it's for me or somebody like me. That's what he said. Ask him about. There comes the guard. I gotta keep busy. All right, I'll talk to you later, Spear. I won't be hard to find... And that's the whole story, Captain. I locked Spear up, too, and for no justifiable reason at all. He was fighting, wasn't he, Marshal? He was trying to get Gallagher out of there, that's all. I have already decided Gallagher's punishment will be the more severe. Yeah, but Spear doesn't deserve any punishment at all. Don't you see that? If I may ask, Marshal, what is your interest in this case? Look, I made a mistake, Captain. If I hadn't thrown Spear in jail, he'd be all right now. The man's been done an injustice. Not exactly. He'd have been an hour late in any case. What? He and Gallagher had orders to report here to Lieutenant Adams at 6 o'clock. But at 6 o'clock, they were arrested in Dodge. If they had not been arrested, it would have taken them an hour to ride to the fort. Therefore, they would have reported in at 7 o'clock, one hour late. Oh, but Captain Spear spent that hour trying to find Gallagher. A soldier must learn to take care of himself, Marshal. Evidently, Spear hasn't learned. So it's my duty to teach him. Ah, this just doesn't make sense. I am a soldier, Marshal. You are a civilian. I wouldn't expect you to understand. Anybody can understand what's just. The army has its own justice, Marshal. Like making a man dig his own grave? Oh, you saw him. Of course. Gallagher's digging one behind the fort. Why? Sentimental reasons, I suppose. Of mine, to be sure. What does that mean? It goes back a long way, Marshal. 
You see, I served under General Winfield Scott at Veracruz in 47. And I remember an order he once sent down. And it concerned soldiers who'd been found drunk. Now don't tell me General Scott had them shot. No. His idea was to impress upon the command that such a grave would be wanted sooner or later. Either for the drunken man or for some drunken companion. And did the soldiers understand that? Soldiers understand orders, Marshal. Or they can be made to. Tell me, Captain, what do you think Colonel Doby would do about this? In Colonel Doby's absence, I am in command of this company. Then Spear will be punished even though he's innocent, huh? This is an army matter, Marshal. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye, Marshal. Marshal Dillon. Huh? Yeah. I'm Lieutenant Adams. Oh, how do you do, Lieutenant? I'm the officer Spear and Gallagher were to report to night before last. Oh, yeah, yeah, the captain mentioned that. Uh, tell me, how'd you make out in there? Well, I don't think Captain Shaw and I understand each other completely. I knew it was hopeless. Thanks for trying, Marshal. Tell me something, Lieutenant. What's the matter with Captain Shaw? I couldn't say, Marshal. But he's been 30 years in the Army. So? Colonel Doby's been in 10. Oh, I see. Will you join us at mess, Marshal? We eat in about ten minutes. Oh, thank you very much. I'd like to, if you don't mind. Sorry I can't offer you a drink. Captain's order. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, Lieutenant, when does Colonel Doby get back from St. Louis? We haven't heard. Soon, I hope. Yeah. You see, Gallagher can take it. He knows he's guilty, for one thing. Spear, I'm worried about. Already, he's not the same man he was. Yeah, I suppose he's lost faith in people... He was always a fine soldier. I just hope he can hang on long enough. No? Long enough for what? Oh, let's say long enough for Colonel Doby to get back before Captain Shaw drives Spear to something like... Yeah. Come along, Marshal. We'll wash up. I was pretty busy the next few days, and there wasn't much time to think about Spear. But when I did think about him, I got to wishing I'd never let myself be hired for this job. Nearly a week passed, and then one day, about noon, I went to the office and found Kitty waiting there with Chester. I told her you'd be along any minute, Mr. Dillon. That's nothing serious, I hope, Kitty. Well, it could be, Matt. She wouldn't tell me a word about it. I offered to help, but no, she said. Uh, She'd wait until uh, you right, got here right, and then... All right, Chester. Well, Kitty. Matt, uh, this morning, about 8 o'clock it was, oh, I was... Wait a minute. Huh? Uh, Lieutenant Adams. Hello, Marshal. Chester. Hello, Lieutenant. Uh, this is Miss Kitty, Lieutenant. Oh. Oh, yes, of course. I didn't recognize you, Miss Kitty. I mean, I... Uh, that's all right, Lieutenant. I'll be brief, Marshal. It's about Spear. He's deserted. What? Last night. Just before Chow. How'd he get away? Well, Captain Shaw hasn't had those men guarded very close. 
They're still digging graves, and with only one guard for the two of them. Spear took off when the guard was at the back of the fort near Gallagher. That's all. What, have they found him yet? No. But the captain has the whole company out after him. I just posted a couple of men at the depot. Most everyone else is fanned out over the prairie, horseback. You think maybe the captain wanted him to run off, Lieutenant? Maybe that's why he made it so easy, huh? A lieutenant doesn't judge his captain, Marshal. But I'm worried about Spear. He might do anything now. Yeah. I knew you'd be interested, so I just dropped by to let you know what's happened. Oh, thank you, Lieutenant. There's something else, Marshal. What? Captain Shaw has ordered me to search the town. Oh? He's sending me two more men. I hope you won't object. Well, ordinarily I would, but uh, I understand. Thank you, Marshal. Goodbye, Miss Kitty. Goodbye. Chester. Goodbye, Lieutenant. Matt, that's what I came to tell you about. Spear is hiding in my room. What? Since when? This morning he showed up about 8 o'clock. Said he has to hide during the day. He promised to leave tonight. But why did he come to you? Well, he remembered I tried to keep him from being arrested that day, and he said I was the only person he could trust. Oh, I see. I, I don't know what to do, Is Matt. Is he armed, Kitty? Yeah. Yes, he's armed. And he said if anyone but me tried to get in the room, he'd kill him. He's awful desperate, Matt. He's got to turn himself in, Kitty. After the way he's been treated... He'll catch him anyway, sooner or later. But he's got to face this thing on his own free will. If he doesn't, it'll... It'll ruin him inside. He won't be any good again. You understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think I do. All right, then go tell him. I can't, Matt. I'm not a man. He wouldn't listen to me. All right, I'll go. You can't. He'll shoot you as soon as you open that door. Well, uh, look, you'll have to help us trick him, Kitty. No, please, Matt. He trusts me. You want to help him, don't you? Yeah. All right. Chester, go out and buy a big bag of groceries and hurry. Groceries? Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. We'll wait for you here. Stay off of your heels, Chester. Quiet. All right, you go ahead, Kitty. We'll be there when he opens the door. All right, Matt. I can't hold all these groceries much longer. All right, come on in quick. Take this. My arm's breaking. All right, I got it. All right, close the door, Chester. Yes, sir. Come over here and take his gun away from him. I got it, sir. All right. All right, now get up. I said get up. Now sit in that chair. And don't try anything. I hope you're real proud, Kitty. 
Now, wait a minute, Spear. Nobody's betrayed you. We're trying to help you, that's all. Why don't you just shoot me, Marshal, and have it over with? Spear, you've got a bad deal all around, but the trouble you're in right now is your own doing. You're the one put me in jail, I'm talking about your deserting. Well, what about it? I'm just telling you, you're responsible for that yourself. And you're the only one who can square it. Give yourself up. Give myself up? You mean you're not taking me in? I got nothing to do with it. This is between you and the army. Please, Spear, do it. He's right. You mean I can... You mean I can walk out of here right now? And you won't stop me? That's right. Why are you doing this, Marshal? Spear, I've been told that you're a good soldier. But right now you're in trouble. And you and I are both responsible for it. I shouldn't have thrown you in jail, and you shouldn't have deserted. Well, so? I'll do my part, and I think you'll do yours. You'll do yours by turning yourself in. I don't know, Marshal. Yeah, what, Chester? Down there in the street. Lieutenant Adams and two soldiers, and they're headed right in here. Give myself up, huh? You got it planned pretty neat, Marshal. Maybe the Army will give you a reward for this, huh? Maybe they'll Adam fix said he was going to search the town. That's all I know about. And followed you right here, didn't he? You sure trust me. All right, all. shut up a minute. Uh, Kitty, is that a closet there? Is yes. it empty? Look, well, almost, yeah. All right, Spear, I'll prove that I trust you. They won't find you till you're ready to give yourself up. Now get in that closet and hurry. You mean it? Here, take my gun with you. Now do you think I mean it? Your gun? Go on, but, take it. But I, I didn't mean all right, hurry up, get in there. Mr. Dillon, are you sure you are to take a chance like that? Open the door, Kitty. Oh, Come in, Lieutenant. Wait here, Matthew. Yes, sir. Well, hello, Marshal. How are you, Lieutenant? Yes, sir. Hello. Sorry to bother you this way, Miss Kitty. We're searching the town for Spear, like I told you. Well, I know, but... How'd you get here so fast, Lieutenant? Just a hunch. Guess it was a bad one. It sure was. Miss Kitty'd never hide a fugitive of any kind in this world, no matter Chester. what he might have done. Chester. Yes, sir. I hope you'll excuse me for bothering you, Miss Kitty. Oh, that's all right, Lieutenant. Well, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. So long. All right, Spear, they've gone. You can come out now. Well? Here's your gun, Marshal. Thank you. We'll leave you here, and I'll send Lieutenant Adams back alone. That is, if you've decided. Okay, Marshal. Oh, that's fine. You're doing the right thing, Spear. Chester, give him his gun. Yes, sir. Here you are. Thanks. Come on, Kitty. Chester. Mr. Marshal. Yeah? I'll be all right now, Marshal. No matter what that captain thinks up. Sure you will, Spirit. Good luck to you. Thanks, Marshal. I thank you.
There's Lieutenant Adams right across the street, Mr. Dillon. Uh, you and Kitty go on into the Texas Trail, huh? I'll join you later. All right, sir. Hurry back, Matt. Yeah. Lieutenant. Lieutenant Adams. Yes, Marshal. Where are your men? Oh, they're scouting the Alifraganza there. I don't think they'll find him, though. You don't? No, I don't. I see you got your gun back, Marshal. You don't miss much, do you? I kind of wondered at first why you didn't have it upstairs, eh? And? Well, I don't suppose Captain Shaw would much appreciate an officer who searched a room, didn't even bother with the closet, would he? Captain Shaw might not, Lieutenant, but I think Spear will. Is he waiting for me, Marshal? Mm-hmm. It was a mighty long chance you took. Yeah, it was worth it. Let me know how he makes out, Lieutenant. I sure will, Marshal. Especially seeing as how you kind of got a stake in him now. Well, so long. Goodbye, Lieutenant. I heard later that Spear was treated rough for the next few days, but that he took it fine. And then Colonel Doby returned to his command, and he decided that Spear had been punished enough. Two weeks later, Lieutenant Adams, accompanied only by Spear, was ordered on a scouting mission down toward the Cimarron. It may have been Indians, or it may have been the river, but neither man was seen or heard of again. Yesterday, I received a message from Colonel Doby. A formation is to be held at Fort Dodge, honoring those two good soldiers. The colonel thought I might want to be there. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, Harry Bartell, Paul Fries, and Vic Perrin. Parley Bear is Chester, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Sundays in the daytime, CBS Radio now brings you a full hour of fun and melody with Arthur Godfrey and all the little Godfreys. It's 60 minutes of the best features from Arthur's shows heard during the week. Remember Arthur Godfrey, Frank Parker, Jeanette Davis, Holly Loki, the Mariners, Julius LaRosa, and all the rest of the gang are yours on most of these stations for a full Sunday hour. Presented by CBS Radio tomorrow. 
George Walsh speaking. And remember, Amos and Andy are here every Sunday on the CBS Radio Network. Some episodes of Gunsmoke were funny, some were very dramatic, and some were just flat-out tragedies. That was Soldiers, as originally heard on April the 25th, back in 1953, on Gunsmoke. And of course, we'll have another episode of Gunsmoke on our next, uh, next show. Well, Chester is signaling to me that we're all out of time, so I'm going to take a moment and Gather up all of our shows and carry them back into the vault. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. Chester is itching to get back out there. He's got a softball game that starts in, what, 20 minutes? All right. Well, you're going to be out of here. Don't worry about it. And I thank you all, all of you that uh, listened in here for the last couple hours. Well, this is Bob Bro, And as always, I want to just tell you how glad I am that you stopped by and how glad I am that you met me. See you next time, everybody. Bye-bye. charms she did possess Now this did happen once upon a time When things were not so complex And how he worshipped the ground she walked And when he looked in her eyes he became obsessed My love is like a storybook story But it's as real as the feelings I feel My love is like a storybook story But it's as real as the feelings I feel It's as real as the feelings I feel
Love was stronger than the power so dark A prince could have within his keeping His spells to weave and steal a heart Within her breast but only sleeping My love is like a storybook 